The New Testament reading is Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. He ascended, and what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceit, deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God. Well, we're going to keep going today in Ephesians chapter 4. And if you remember last week, uh, Paul was talking about unity. He was giving this great presentation on what our unity is like. He makes this big declaration that we are all together as a whole being made into one. By the power of God, we are becoming one. But today, he actually zooms back in. And in verse 7, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. He zooms back in and he says, But grace was given to each of us. So even though we're, this, we're becoming this one big thing, he says, Grace is given to each one of us. So although we are one in the church, that doesn't mean that we become this indistinct homogenous group of clones of one another. That's not the way our oneness is supposed to work. God loves unity, but he also loves diversity. And so he gives each one of us gifts. He gives us different gifts for the service of his church. He gives us gifts, and then this passage tells us that the purpose of those gifts is ultimately so that we can grow. He gives us gifts so that we can grow. Now on Memorial Day weekend, uh, church growth might already be on your mind, especially if you were on the setup team this morning. Uh, but that's not what Paul has in mind here. That's not what, attendance numbers are not the things that, that Paul is talking about. He is, in fact, is telling us the kind of growth that we really need, the kind of growth we need the most is to grow up. We need to grow up. We need to grow in our ability to love each other well. We need to have honest relationships with each other so that we can speak truth to one another that leads to maturity. We need to become one body. We need to be a body that supports each other, but we also need to be a body that sharpens each other, that challenges one another. And so that's where we're headed today. God gives us gifts so that we can grow up 
And here's the point. How do we get those gifts? How do we use those gifts? And what happens when we use them? How do we get those gifts? How do we use those gifts? And what happens when we use them? All right, so how do we get the gifts? Verse 7. But grace was given according, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we get them from Jesus. Okay, that's easy enough, right? We get the gifts from Jesus. That part's simple, but let's look at the, the next couple of verses. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. That uh, into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Okay, I don't blame you if you didn't follow that. That stuff's a little bit confusing. I spent all week studying it, and I'm here to help you. <laughs> it's actually not that complicated, even though it, it, there's a lot of words in there that don't make sense. This is simply a quote from Psalm 68 and Paul explaining what it means. Now, Manny read for us that portion of the psalm for us. It is a psalm, a song that, that David wrote about God conquering, about God conquering and establishing his throne. And when Paul reads that passage, he recognizes that those Old Testament stories, those old victories that Paul, that uh, David was celebrating, were all pointing towards God's ultimate victory on the cross. They were all pointing towards what Jesus was going to come and do. And so, he sees this verse about God ascending and taking his place on his throne... And he recognizes that that points to Jesus, who literally ascended into the heavens and took a seat on his throne. He sees this verse about God leading the captives, the, the people of Israel, the Hebrews, out of captivity in Egypt. And he realizes that this points to Jesus, who leads all people out of the captivity of sin, death, out of Satan's power. But then there's a difference. There's a difference from the way you read it in your Old Testament and the way we read it when Paul quotes it. And it's really cool. See, where the Old Testament verse, it says that as God ascends his throne, the conquered people, they give him all these gifts. They present these gifts to God as he ascends up to the throne. But Paul says, Christ gives gifts to those who he's conquered. Christ gives gifts to the hearts of the people that he's conquered. That's pretty cool. That is a small picture of the Christian reality. And it's, it's amazing when you think about it. One of my favorite quotes from the old British preacher, Charles Spurgeon, it's, from, it's collected in a devotional now. I don't know where it came from in the first place. But he says this. He says... We are Christ's by conquest. What a battle he had in us before we would be won. How he laid siege to our hearts. How often he sent us the terms of surrender, but we barred our gates and fenced our walls against him. Do we not remember that glorious hour when he carried our hearts by storm? When he placed his cross against the wall and scaled the ramparts, planting on our strongholds 
the blood-red flag of his omnipotent mercy. Yes, we are indeed the conquered captives of his omnipotent love. We, as Christians, we are conquered enemies. But instead of taking our rights away from us, he gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. He gives us gifts that finally enable us to live for his glory instead of our glory. And here in our passage, Paul starts to tell us what those gifts are. He mentions a few of them in verse 11. He says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, those aren't all the gifts. There's lots of gifts. But again, I told you that today, Paul's focus is on what? It's on growing up. And so, he highlights especially the gifts of teaching. And the first one he mentions are the apostles and the prophets. If you have been a Christian for a while, you probably recognize that there are a lot of people in the church going around who call themselves apostles and prophets. Um, for various reasons, with different ideas of what that might mean. But when Paul uses the word, it's really important for us to understand exactly who he's talking about. He says he uses these, these same terms just a couple chapters ahead in, in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, so then... You, Christians, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then he says this, the household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So when Paul uses those words, he's talking about people who have an authoritative, unique gifting in the history of the church. Those kinds of apostles and prophets, we don't have them anymore. Now, don't misunderstand me. God still speaks. But he speaks to us through his word. That word was written by the apostles and the prophets. So maybe you will have a time in your life where you will have a word of scripture that you want to share with your brother or sister in Christ. And God may use that in their life. But there are no people existing today who can make a proclamation and then follow it with, thus saith the Lord. That doesn't happen anymore. And in fact, I would, I would tell you that when, when people do that, it's dangerous. Uh, I have a, uh, a friend who was going through a really difficult period of his life. Things were not working out for him. He was, he was really struggling with, with a variety of things, including addiction. And he visited a church and during that service, he had the opportunity to share his testimony, how God was working in his life. And after the service, a woman came up to him, and I'm sure with wonderful intentions, said to him, God told me, you're going to be a lawyer. Now, he was not going to be a lawyer. That's the hard thing. He did not become a lawyer. In fact, a few years later, he passed away. But... In her effort to encourage him, in this hunch that she might have had, she actually really did a destructive thing. She wounded him. She sent him on a, a path that led him into a spiral for weeks. Because he was like, well, I've got to figure out how to become a lawyer. And I had to say, brother, you're not going to be a lawyer. <laughs> I know that's what she said, but that's, you know, let's go to the word of God to find some truth. We still have apostles and prophets today. But they are right here. 
This is where you find the apostles and prophets. This is how you listen to them speak. But next, God says, he gave the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. And these, this is the more everyday common category of, of pastors and teachers in the church. And like I said, he's talking about maturity. The reason he focuses in on those gifts is because he's trying to tell us that to grow up, we need to listen to the teaching and the teachers that we find in the church. John Calvin, who was, had a habit for uh, saying things, uh, I don't know, sternly, he said, they are therefore insane who hope to be perfect in Christ through personal revelations of the Spirit and the private reading of Scripture only. And they imagine that they do not need the ministry of the church. Now, I know it sounds self-serving for me to say that, but it's the Bible that's telling you this. None of us can grow in our faith without the witness and the work of the church. We all need teachers. Even I need a teacher. We all need to be disciples. We all need someone not just to tell us where to go to find the truth, but we need people to explain it to us. We need people to show it to us in their lives, to model what it means to live this out. And it's arrogant to think that you can do that by yourself. It's not just arrogant, it's absurd. A, a solo Christian is an oxymoron. It is an impossibility. A Christian who, who attempts to master his faith alone is like a, a solitary horn player who tries to play an entire symphony. It's just not possible. We cannot come to fully know Christ apart from his bride. So that's the first point. Jesus has given us, his conquered people, a tremendous gift by giving, it, giving us the church and by filling it with godly men and women who are established on the truth of the apostles and the prophets, on the established on his word, and who teach us, who model for us the way. All right. Those are the gifts. What do we do with them? Let's keep going. So he's given us these teachers, and it says in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The gift of knowledge, the knowledge of God's word, the, the knowledge of how to live the Christian life is not meant to stop at your ears this morning. It has a purpose. It is not a commodity for you to consume, but it actually is a fuel that is meant to power you and drive you. He says that the purpose of these gifts is to equip you all for the work of ministry. And I really like that, that phrase that, that it would equip the saints. I like that picture because we are a, a teaching heavy kind of church. We're a teaching heavy kind of denomination, right? We, we are all about doctrine. We teach very precise theology. We want you to get it right. And if you stay around in this church long enough, you will come to think of your, yourself as a person who has lots of knowledge. We pride ourselves in this idea that we are well-equipped. But what do we do with it? I'm 
the picture that comes to my mind is, is the picture of somebody who, who does everything they can, who puts all their energy into building a, a great work truck. You know, they, they, they rebuild the engine. They build the engine from scratch so that it has the, the most power, that it has the most horsepower and, and torque. They go and they get the, the most durable tires. They go get the, the best wheels that they can find. They go out, they find this, the most heavy-duty winch system so that they could pull the, the biggest things imaginable. So that nothing can stop them. Then they go out, they get one of those big toolboxes. They put it in the back of the truck. They fill the toolboxes with the best tools, right? The best drills and saws and, and hammers. They put big racks on the top of the truck so that they can carry anything else that they might need. And then they get in the truck and they roll down the windows and they drive down Newberry Street and wave. That, I think, is a fair picture of what our church can look like. It makes no sense for us to be equipped and then do nothing with it. But too often, that's what the church is. We have all this head knowledge, but we don't take it out into the world. We have all this head knowledge, but we don't live it out in our daily life. We don't love our spouses in a Christ-like way. We don't teach it to our kids. We don't allow the word of God to move from our head and into our hearts and truly humble us and transform us. And we certainly don't share the gospel with anybody else. We don't use the gifts. Instead, we hoard them. We collect them. But Paul is saying here that that's not the way it's supposed to be. The work of the church is not for the professionals. It's for you. The work of the church is for every saint. We are all equipped and we are all, you are called to ministry. And what is the ministry? What ministry are you called to? Well, it's right here. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, comma, for the building up of the body of Christ. The work of ministry that Paul is talking about is growing up. Paul is telling us a very plain fact that we should all know. And that is, when we come to Christ, we do not come to him fully formed. Amen? When we come to Christ, we still have a long way to go before we reach perfection. Every single one of us. No exceptions in this room. Every single one of us is on a journey. We are on a road where we are going to become someday the men and women God has created us to be. But we aren't there yet. Verse 13, it says, we are in this until we all maintain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. He says we are all on this journey where more and more we will become united with each other in Christ. More and more we will come to know Jesus fully. And when that happens, we will not be fools anymore. We won't be tossed around by false teaching and, and weak arguments against the faith. But instead, we will be anchored in Christ. 
We will be sound and secure and mature. Paul says we're not going to get there by the work of pastors alone. We're not going to get there if it's all up to me. And, and I know if you've been in this church long enough, you're like, amen. <laughs> we're not. We are going to get there when we minister to one another. When we do what he says here in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. He says the way we do this ministry is by speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. You know, if I had five words, if you told me today, I got, you got five words to describe how the church is going to become mature. I could not think of anything better. I could not do a better job than this. Speaking the truth in love. You know what? Let, let, I don't want you to forget this today. So let's say that together. Ready? Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love is the difference between driving your truck around Newbury Street and actually getting those tools out and doing the work. Speaking the truth in love is the ministry that each one of you has been called to. But it's hard work. It's, it's really hard work. Speaking the truth is hard. Somebody, I know somebody knows what I'm talking about here, right? Speaking the truth is really hard. But God has equipped you with truth. And so you have to speak it. He has given us the truth of the gospel so that we could share it with the world, right? Nobody would argue with that. Go make disciples of all nations. We are here, the church is here to tell people that they can be reconciled to God if they have faith in Jesus and his atoning sacrificial death on the cross. We're supposed to share the truth with the world, but we are especially supposed to share the truth with each other. In the church. With other Christians. We're supposed to remind each other, right? We're supposed to remind each other of the good news. That we are secure in Christ. That if anyone belongs to him, they do not have to fear that he's going to change his mind. That he's going to kick him out. We have been saved by Christ and it's once and for all. But at the same time, we need to share the truth of God's law with each other. At the same time that we're sharing the truth of God's grace and his mercy and our security in him, we need to be willing to share the truth of God's law with each other. We need to be willing to tell other people how to live a life that delights God. We need to be bold enough to let one another know when we're in sin. We need to teach each other how to obey the law of God. And when we see a, a brother or sister living outside of the law of God, we need to be willing to point that out. So that they can see the places where they're harming others. Where they might be harming themselves. Where they are living a life that is displeasing to God. Paul says that thing 
The ability to speak that kind of hard truth is a gift to the church that Jesus has given. And it's something that we can only share in the church. You can't go out and tell other people in the world how they're supposed to abide by the law of God. We need to tell them about the grace of Jesus. You can't make them conform to the Ten Commandments. You need to have God bring their hearts alive before they can do that. But here in the church, in a, in a community bound together by the Holy Spirit, we are committed to each other's holiness. And that brings us to the next part. We speak the truth in what? In love. Truth is hard. I said that, right? Speaking the truth is hard. Love is also hard. And truth and love, they are not things you can separate. Truth and love have to always go together. Now, I admit, in our culture, it doesn't sound very loving to teach people the law of God. It doesn't seem very loving for, for me to tell you that your actions displease God. But of course it is. Of course it is loving to tell somebody the truth. There's this famous interview where uh, Penn, you know Penn and Teller, the, the magicians? Uh, uh, Penn, who is one of those guys, is also a famous atheist. And, uh, and in this interview, he's, he's talking about uh, a guy who, maybe you've seen this on the internet before, but uh, he's sharing the story of a guy who came up to him after um, one of his shows and shared the gospel with him, knowing that he was an atheist. But instead of being offended or repulsed by it, this guy just shared the fact that logically, he respected that this guy did it. He said, in fact, how could any Christian who believed that faith in Jesus Christ was necessary to keep you out of an eternity of torment, how could anyone not share that news? He, I think the way he put it was, how could you hate someone so much that you withheld the truth from them? That applies to evangelism, but it also applies to our growth in godliness. When we fail to tell people the truth that God has told us in his word, we are not loving people. When we fail to use the tools that he has equipped us with, the only person we are loving is ourselves. We are protecting ourselves. We are protecting ourselves from a hard conversation. And in the act, we are disobeying God. In that act, you are sinning. But hear me. This is also not a command for you to go and blow people away with your self-righteous judgment. Love can be stern. Loving words can be hard to hear. But they are never self-focused. In fact... By definition, love is the opposite of self-concern. It is caring so much about another person that you are willing to give up your comfort, that you are willing to risk conflict in order to help them. You count their needs above your own. It is a gracious approach that says, just because I'm pointing out this thing, 
It doesn't mean I'm giving up on you. It doesn't mean I think that I'm better than you. In fact, it's, it's the very opposite. I am telling you this because I trust that God is at work in your life, just like he's at work in my life. And I know that this hard word that I'm delivering you, he's going he's gonna to use it. And together, you and I, through this, we're both going to grow up a little. That's how we use it, guys. That's how we use these gifts. The gifts we get from Jesus, right? The knowledge of the truth of his word. And the way that we use those gifts is by speaking that truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. That's what we're supposed to do. So what happens when we do it? This is the third point. What happens when we do that? What is the result of speaking the truth in love? Well, he says here, that we speak the truth in love, that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, and from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, as a pastor, that last picture, now that, that brings me to tears when I think about it. And I want to see that so badly. That is a picture of us on the road to glory. It says that if we are going to grow, then each one of us has a part to play. If we are going to grow up, then everybody has to participate. We are all needed. Every single joint, right? Every single joint, right down to, you know, whatever this little one is right here. Every single joint is required for us to, to work together, to grow. It says when we are working together, the church builds itself up in love. And that's not just any love, okay? I want to make that clear. That's not just kind of the frilly idea of, of falling in love or whatever. When he, when he says that we grow up in love, he is talking about a God-centered love. He's talking about a Christ-exalting love. He's talking about a love for God above all else. A love for God that then gives us a love for each other. A love that, that expresses itself in a love for his people. And so that means that is really the thing also that's holding us back. Our lack of love for God is the thing that prevents us from doing this. The truth is, we love ourselves more than him. And so we don't speak the truth. We love ourselves more than our brothers and sisters. And so we don't tell them what's really going on. We love our sin more than we love God. And so we live lives against his law. And then we get angry with our brothers and sisters when they point out God's truth to us. But here's the good news. Here's the good news for us in this command. Do you realize here that Jesus 
is determined to change that? Do you realize that? Do you realize that this description that Paul gives, it's not a choice. He's not giving us an option for how the church can decide to live or not. He is showing us a vision of what Jesus is going to do with you, whether you want him to or not. This is a vision of who our Savior is. Do you know he came to a world that is just like us now? He came to a world that was divided by sin. He came to a world that was hostile to him. A world of immature sinners who were separated from God. He came to a people who, who when they heard him speak the truth, they wanted him dead. And you know, he even let him do it. He allowed himself to be murdered on the cross for speaking the truth. But in that moment, when the world did everything they could to overcome him, to resist him, to reject him, to defeat him, Jesus was doing what Charles Spurgeon was saying. He was defeating their sin. He was conquering their rebellious hearts. And if you remember reading that, the New Testament, do you remember this? That, that many of those same people who were standing there when Jesus was being crucified, who were standing there when Pilate presented him yelling, crucify him, who were in town for that feast, do you realize many of them were probably the same people who were back 50 days later for Pentecost, who became some of the first members of the church? And I don't know this for sure, but I imagine since those people traveled in from everywhere, I imagine maybe one or two of them might have been the original recipients of this letter. That, that Jesus took people who literally were shouting, crucify him. And he turned them into people who were being built together in love. And you know, he's going to do that for you too. You see, Jesus is building his church. He has already guaranteed it. We will fight with our sin. We will try to live for ourselves instead of him. But you know what? Jesus loves you too much to let you get away with that. Mark 8, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that means that through your brothers and sisters in this church, he's going to chase you down in your sin. Through your brothers and sisters in this church, he's going to offer you his grace. And slowly, as we live that out, he is going to transform us more and more into the people he's created us to be. That's the result. That's the result of this process. That as we speak the truth to each other in love, we're going to see Jesus at work. We're going to see the gospel at work. We're going to see people change. We're going to, you're going to see me grow up. And I'm going to see you grow up. You're going to see me grow in love. I'm going to see you grow in love. Love for God. Love for each other. And so as we think about that today, as we prepare to come up to this table, I want to invite you just to consider that. I want you to ask a couple of quick questions of your own heart. Simple ones. Are you living with the love of God 
or a love of self? Does your life show others a love for sin or a love for truth? And secondly, are you living with a love for others? Is there something right now that you need to confess to your brother? Is there a sin that you need to acknowledge? 